0: Coming up next, the bookening reads Invisible Man. Everybody. Welcome to the My name is Nathan. I am your humble and obedient host. We've got Brandon Chastain, the scholar who's a baller of reading, hey. and of course we've got Brandon. Why don't you introduce the other person we've got here?
1: Well, we've got the Mensel. He's a Mensel. Mm-hmm. Yep, always is. He yeah, is he looks a lot like Jacob Kyle Mensel, actually. If he were, were like, have you ever see the movie Big? If mm-hmm. you gotten that? Well, I wasn't asking you, Nathan. Oh, <laughs> but yeah. Oh, yeah, it's probably for the best that you haven't seen that movie. Actually, I was testing. Uh, mm,
0: good parenting, Jake. Uh,
1: yeah, good job, Jake. But there's this machine. What's it called? Zotrab? Zort- Zoltron. Zort- or- Zoltron. Yeah. It's like a little, what is he? He's, what would you call him? A, like a stu- mystic. A mystic, yeah. Yeah. But he's a, a robotic mystic in this box. You can put a coin in and he'll give you a, a fortune. Man, mm-hmm. my brain is not working. And this one guy, he gets a fortune and it turns him young. No, he wishes on it that he could be young again, or he could be old. I'm really not getting this movie right at all, but it's like the reverse thing happened here, and Jake wished that he could be young, and now he's here as you, our guest, Peter, your middle name is? Caleb. Peter Caleb Mensel. Yep. The- Second
0: time on, he was on several years ago to discuss Boys of Blur. The scion
1: of the pastor who's a master of reading. He is.
2: I he still isn't. haven't listened to that podcast.
1: The one with you? Yeah. <laughs> any oh, of well. these? You don't listen to the booketing. You're not a big fan?
2: Well, I listen to it sometimes, like yeah. when mom listens to it. Uh, but I haven't listened to the one I was in last time.
0: Peter, what's the best book you've read that you think everyone in our audience should read?
2: I didn't really read it. Papa read it, Lord of the Rings. Oh,
0: yeah. Good choice. Good choice. That's a great book. I don't know what you're talking
3: about, but the man finished Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter in the same year, just finished Harry Potter, and it seems like his perspective would be interesting.
1: What did you like best about Harry?
2: I like the part in the seventh book when Neville, like, set up to Lord Voldemort, I was like, I'll join you when hell freezes over.
1: That is a good part. Yeah. You really do nice like movie. Neville, don't you? In general, I mean, everybody likes Neville. He's a good hero, a heroic figure there at the end.
0: What was the thing that you liked the least about Harry Potter?
1: You read my mind, Nathan. I was going to say, what were you most disappointed in?
2: Well, Harry Potter kind of is too awesome (laughs) to say. There's not really any bad parts. Harry Potter is too awesome? Except in the fourth or fifth book where Dumbledore doesn't punish Harry for getting super angry.
0: Wait, so that's a good part or a bad part?
2: Bad part.
1: What do you think of Dumbledore? Do you like him?
2: Yeah, I liked him.
1: Do you wish he was the headmaster of your school?
2: That would be really cool.
1: Yeah. Who is
0: your favorite character? Ron. What do you like about him?
2: He's heroic and he's very funny.
0: He was one of my favorite characters too. I think I always liked older Ron and Luna.
1: <laughs> Luna.
2: Yeah, no.
0: I liked Luna, too. She was funny.
1: Luna's a great character. Mm-hmm.
0: Looney loved good. What did you think the saddest part of Harry Potter was?
2: When Fred died.
1: Were you expecting
0: that? No. Yeah. She made that one hurt. Yeah, that was sad. Mm-hmm. What do you think's better, Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter?
2: Since I could tell that Harry Potter was kind of copying off Lord of the Rings with the Dementors and the Shadow Kings. Mm-hmm. I think Lord of the Rings is better.
0: They did it first and did it best. Yeah, that makes sense. Is there anything you like better about Harry Potter than Lord of the Rings?
2: Well, Lord of the Rings didn't have seven.
1: So you You like the the more? Yeah. So if I was going to make you go to an island and never come off, you could either take Harry Potter or the Lord of the Rings with you. Which one are you taking?
2: I think I would take Harry Potter because Lord of the Rings is only... Three books.
1: Here's a question. If I was sending you to an island and you could only take Gandalf or Dumbledore with you, who are you taking?
2: That's really hard. Gandalf. In the seventh book, I learned that Dumbledore is kind of like, he used to be like a mean jerk, kind of.
1: So he might be a mean jerk to you?
2: Well, no. It's just. (laughs)
1: Loses a little bit of the mythology
0: there, yeah. Yeah. Let's see. Is there anything else? We should probably ha- get uh, Jake on here, but we need to ask Peter one more question. The best question we've asked him, Brandon, which would be.
1: Okay. Oh, that's your job. You're the host. with the most? Okay. Oh, I got Let's, it. Yeah, go ahead. I got a question. Top three fruit.
2: Okay. I'm going to say apple. Yes. Good. Strawberries. Good. And then like, I wouldn't eat it straight, but I like to have it on things. Lemons.
1: Lemons, Mm. good choice. Yeah, that's a good choice. Would you consider someone a madman if they said that a pineapple should be the top of the list?
2: No. Is that person
1: crazy? Okay, well that's good because your dad said that.
0: Who do you think that Harry Potter should have married and why?
1: That's a good question, Nathan. You did it. (laughs) Mm,
2: mm. I, I don't know. I think J.K. Rowling chose the right fit.
0: Do you, think that, do you think that Ron and Hermione should have gotten married?
2: Well, it's kind of obvious.
1: Do you think that Luna and Neville should have gotten married?
2: Oh yeah, definitely.
1: Guess what? They didn't, because <laughs> she doesn't know how to resolve her own. Yeah, s- oh, man, that's how did so who mad. did Luna get married to? Some nobody, and so did ne- Neville. They mm-hmm. belonged together. They were made for each other. Nathan.
0: Yeah, I agree.
2: Yeah.
0: Oh
1: well, well
2: very awkward.
1: Yep, that
0: would be an awkward couple. It's true, but
2: <sighs> they're they're both awkward, so they wouldn't be awkward towards each other. Right? They'd just be the one awkward couple in the back of the room.
0: All right. Well, thank you, Peter. This is going at the top of the podcast, Invisible Man, Part Three.
2: Part Three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How many parts are there?
1: Probably three. It's
2: probably the whole
1: three. world's going to listen to you. Yep. If you have That's one thing you want to say to the whole world as you sign off, what would it be?
2: I don't know. That's a lot of people.
1: <laughs> There's a lot of people.
2: So what um, do you think that,
1: what do they need to know? I don't know. Maybe a piece of advice. What's something that you wish you, you knew? To some young five-year-old out there listening, what do you wish you knew at five?
2: I would probably wish I knew how to fly an airplane.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. There you go. Peter Mensel, go out, five-year-old, and learn how to fly an airplane. Learn how to fly an airplane. You'll be happier. Deep thoughts.
0: Deep thoughts. <laughs> 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 All right. Thanks, Peter. See ya. See ya. What?
2: They're ready for you. It's
3: going to take a while. I'm glad you guys are
0: finally ready for me. What can we say?
3: We
1: had a pretty had interesting mental eventually. on. It had to have
0: it happen Eventually.
1: Yeah, we had to have you back on. We were yeah, having we a, a cool conversation there about Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings.
0: We need to have Elliot back on for his, to uh, re- hear yeah. some more about the torture chamber or whatever.
1: Well, that's that's in the past. Now that was the old house. That was the old now house. Now we have a torture it. cavern. That's, I don't know. I don't think that people need to have a torture anything, really. So, in the cave that we went into Torture's recently. Torture is kind of
3: overrated. Yeah.
1: Torture is kind of overrated. Hey, there's a t-shirt. Torture is overrated.
3: <laughs> it's not a t-shirt. Tortures a overrated. <laughs> the book, the bookening. Tortures overrated. <laughs> just listen to us
0: to find out more. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, as a way of getting things out of people, I'd say torture is okay,
1: yeah. pragmatically speaking, but
0: I don't know, we're not here to litigate torture.
1: No, we're not. Hey, we're last time, t- last podcast, pad-ca- uh, last podcast, Nathan, mm-hmm. you said that we were the only smart people in the world. Remember, you said something like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah I
1: remember. So I did think of a t-shirt: the Brotherhood of the Smart White Guys. Can we, we label like that? that
0: t-shirt with one of our rival podcasts?
1: <laughs> we sure could.
0: Jake, your son would take Harry Potter to a desert island before he would take Lord of the Rings, because, well, well mostly because there's seven books. thinking a little more pragmatically than about the
3: greater of the two series.
0: Yeah, I think I I would actually do the same. I actually think that that's pretty smart. Harry Potter would give you more to chew on and more different tones. And uh, Lord of the Rings is clearly better if anyone's wondering what my opinion is. But in terms of Desert Island reading, Harry Potter all the way.
3: I think I might fall that way too. I would actually... I just wouldn't... Want to go back and reread *The Lord of the Rings* that often? Yeah, Potter's going to take a a lot of time and bandwidth, but also be candy enough to.
0: Yeah, in between building your b- b- bamboo, pass the time. Yeah, cut and all that kind of stuff, fighting off natives and stuff. More pages to burn up. Yeah, you could burn some pages.
3: Maybe yeah, need to start a fire. You know.
0: He also. Decided that Gandalf was better than Dumbledore, which was nice, but did take him a while to d- think about it. Hmm. He thought that Voldemort would win in a fight between Voldemort and Sauron, which I thought was pretty oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I
2: think apples have been- is
1: the best fruit. Yeah, what? that was good. Apples and lemons. Apples. What was number two? Strawberries. We're not going to relitigate this entire podcast, are we? <laughs> We're twenty um, minutes into a F- Invisible Man podcast, Nathan.
0: Hey. You know what? We've created some paywall content. 20 minutes that we have not been canceled, my friend. I love it.
3: This is the
1: Let's Not Get Us Canceled podcast.
0: Yeah.
3: So if you made it this far, now you can hear the really dicey things we have to say. Because
1: we still have to talk about the race issue. Race
0: in America. I realize we're three episodes in, and probably this doesn't apply to all of our listeners, but I imagine there's a decent amount of people who are listening who have not read Invisible Man and don't know whether they want to read Invisible Man. Can somebody just give a summary or a kind of what are you getting into? What is it? I think that might be helpful, actually, in this case.
3: A black man from the South lives the black experience in the 19...
0: I want to say 20s and 30s. I
3: was going to say 20s and 30s, yeah. Yeah. 1920s and 30s. 1930s, I think, actually, because I think we figured this out on our first episode.
0: Well, all the stuff in terms of the timing of when Booker T. Washington and Tuskegee University, like, you, sh- you should be able to date it from that stuff, but I'm not familiar enough with the history of all that. Yep.
3: experiments were done while Ellison was there, and that was in the 30s. Right. I think we figured that all out on our first episode. Anyhow, we have a black man who's grown up in the South in the 20s and 30s, and he's gone to college at a historically black college, and who moved to New York and Harlem and experienced the race riots. And he was there for key moments. And it's about his own journey and understanding of what it means to be a black man in America. And some of the things that you need to know about it are that some of the stories are pretty horrific and graphic and... Sexually graphic. Violent and sexual and painful. And so you have the story of <clears throat> of him as a child being brought in to give a speech to a bunch of drunk white men who then uh, make the boys fight each other. That's pretty brutal, and is referenced over and over throughout the book. Then you have the story of of the man who rapes his daughter, and
0: other things like that. Yeah, Ellison certainly doesn't pull any punches in his depiction of... uh, There's no sainted sort of black people in this book. It's not yay, black, bad, whitey, kind of... The closest you come is Mary. Yes, but I'm not ultimately sure how he actually even feels about Mary at the
1: end of the day. Well, he doesn't... She is the last one he thinks to try and make it back to. Right. And when he doesn't go back to her, that's when he falls into the coal shaft. Right. So... But I don't think she's a perfect figure. I just think that she's someone that he could have taken responsibility for and didn't. Right. Because that's kind of the beauty of the book is that it is very ambiguous in a postmodern way as to what it's trying to say about politics or anything like that. But in the end, it's kind of peeling away the layers of excuse that he has. Mm -hmm. Which is, so any postmodern book that at the end tries to come to terms with responsibility... Or hypocrisy or something. That's why I like Ishiguro so much, right? Because in the end, he's at least trying to come to terms with something about the only honest way you can as a postmodern. And so here you have Ellison, and he's dealing with the question of responsibility and how even he, as an invisible man, as a victim, still has responsibility. And so you have that really heartbreaking scene with him and Sybil, Mm -hmm. which is still one, one of the dicier scenes in the book, but it's still him... He feels pity for her and in the really humiliating situation they're in because he was going to try and take advantage of her and then just doesn't play out the way he imagined. And so this book is always this gets back to the. So we should of, just
3: tell people they want to. We're talking to people who haven't read the book and they want right. to know. And turns out Sybil has a a whole rape fantasy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where she wants to be raped by a black man. Right. And has ever since she became sexually aware. Yep. And so he's trying to take advantage of her so he can get some inside info. And turns out he's playing into this whole fantasy that she's been hoping to live for a long time.
1: And she's drunk.
3: And he gets her drunk. She gets herself drunk. He feels bad about it all. It's a really ugly scene. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: This is the most R-rated book that we have I think we're all probably going to recommend this and you know in terms of something that we haven't just said nah like Blood Meridian this is the hardest R-rated material I think we've covered on this podcast. But Blood,
3: Blood Meridian feels gratuitous, but some things just have to be dealt with and there I'm not going to say there aren't gratuitous aspects to this this book and these stories there are. Things that could be potentially defiling to people. But
0: I don't feel like I agree with every one of Ralph Ellison's choices in terms of what to omit and what to include. But I feel like I'm in the hands of someone who is attempting and by and large succeeding at being responsible in depicting this stuff. This isn't someone who's just wanting to rub your nose in it in a squalid or wanton way. He has a particular thing he wants to get across with each of these vignettes. And and
3: and, and you see that in the character of the narrator too. Our narrator is not perverse. Right. He's he's he has real shame and real I don't know. He's trying to grapple with some of the hardest aspects of life.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. And anytime he thinks he has a foothold, the, the sand always erodes underneath his feet. He always anything that he puts his trust in ends up betraying him. It's almost like he goes to every stereotype, every every way, every angle that people have on race relations for lack of a better term. This guy tries it, whether it's like the Black Panther stuff, whether it's like the Marxist kind of liberation stuff, whether it's the Booker T. Washington go along to get along any sort of every every conceivable point of view that you see bandied about, this guy tries it and he finds them all to be wanting. To be wanting. But I just want to say, if someone is listening and they're trying to gauge what this book is. I think we've done an accurate job of describing it, but we also haven't... It's hard to capture the tone, and I think everything that we've said so far makes the book sound like the kind of book that I wouldn't want to read because it sounds so medicinal. And this book is
1: alive and vibrant and... Yeah, at the uh, beginning, he... So it has echoes of Dostoevsky's underground, the notes from the underground. Absolutely. Because it opens up with this guy, he's in this basement that he's just covered with light bulbs mm-hmm. and he has a record player and he is playing a lot of Louis Armstrong and he decides that he's going to kind of tell he's going to write like jazz. That's what he wants to do. Like he said, right. He says that in the introduction mm-hmm. and he does it. The, the Yeah. It's stylistically beautiful. And like we said in the last episode that this, this is, it's also, it's got a really vibrant, alive, energetic, forceful style that, plays like jazz and it pulls you forward and it really engages you with the story so yeah no i think well, that
0: also it's a guy pulling back the curtain on all of these institutions the the underman, underground man kind of conceit really works this if i was going to compare well, the, the, or go ahead
3: the the narrator and part of how it works is the narrator is a believer yeah he's uh He's a he's an optimist. He he's a man who wants to change the world and wants to find something that he can actually believe in, and he never stops that. He never stops being that to the very end. Mm-hmm. And so you get sort of like, and this is why why Brandon and I think in the last episode said it has a, a building's roman quality to it. Yeah, that coming of age, loss of innocence. He does that like seven times. Like you yeah. know, <laughs> like it's just the formula. He goes, he puts his faith in a new person or institution or thing, and then... (laughs) He gets let down, he learns something, he grows as a person, and he thinks he's onto... He's got a handle on what's real and what's true now. Mm -hmm. And at every level of growth, every level of being forced to deal with some hard things about reality, you know, there's always something more to it. And at the end, you know, should I just be a cynic and lock myself in the corner of the basement or not? Because what does it matter? You can't do anything and it's too complicated and too complex. And what am I supposed to do? I quit. Like, let's let the jacks of the world jack it around. And Mm -hmm. because that's just what they're going to do. And what what are they even doing anyway? Like, who knows? Like, forget it. And then he comes kind of back around to, well, okay, but I'm still a man. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I still have to take some responsibility for myself and other people in this world. And so that
1: a hibernation. Yeah. But that's where the book ends us Is it doesn't it ends it doesn't let us see what that's going to look like.
3: No, and uh, you
0: don't know that he's he really knows. Like
3: it's a little it's, bit it, of what
1: I criticized Dostoevsky for, you know, it's it's
0: kissing the Ivan after he tells the Grand Inquisitor story. Like I don't know how to stand against you, but in this existential sense I know that I can stand against you. And maybe for today, that's enough. It's, it's yeah. that kind of yeah. Thing. I, I'm not criticizing it for that. I don't know where else you would end this book.
3: Well, um, it's sort of, it's it's different journeys or levels that anybody can relate to, right? It's like, oh, there are people in the world that are poor. I should help them. Mm-hmm. I'm in fifth grade. I'm going to, you know, go help at the homeless shelter and be stupid and patronizing and condescending. Oh, I learned that that was stupid and patronizing and condescending. But I'm going to go give myself to serving and caring for the... Oh, they're like... This is all way more complicated. You kind of have to ask the question, why is this person poor? You know, and how do you really help them in a way that... Like, there's just the layers and levels as you grow and mature and understanding how to help people. They Mm -hmm. change and they change and they change and they change and they change. And there's always a point if you're trying to be caring and discerning enough where you wonder, well, shoot, it's so complicated. Forget it. Right? Right? Or, well,
0: yeah, it's complicated,
3: but still, we got to help people, right?
0: Well, and what this book really does is, if you care enough, you'll get the crap beaten out of you at every turn. If you really care enough to invest, then violent retribution will come upon your head. (laughs) And probably not on the heads of the people that actually deserve it. If you really and love somebody, prepare to get
3: destroyed. But if you want to flatter people, you're going to really be loved and you know, you're know you going to find people that will make you feel good.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that weird little vignette where he puts on the sunglasses and everybody thinks he's this Reinhardt guy. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of the best little yeah. sections and everybody has their own idea of who Reinhardt is. And you, I don't think we ever actually meet you Reinhard
3: don't Reinhard ever meet
1: reinhardt but
3: or, no but get, we find out he's everything and nothing and, <laughs> and nothing
1: yeah well he's this chaotic figure who has embraced what the narrator has as a last option and pure um, cynicism pure cynicism pure just nihilism just I'll be who i that's what he tries and then it blows up in his face and he realizes even that's not a real option because you have the scene. So that's where the scene with Sybil comes in. Yeah. He decides he's going to be Reinhardt. So that Reinhardt's this kind of confidence man who goes about town. He's a pimp. He's also a preacher. He's also, you know, he's all these things and everybody Gangster. knows. Reinhard. And this is where the, yeah. And, and the narrator is realizing that in a city like New York, you can be anybody you want to be as long as you're and, not. And multiple people person. at the same time. Yeah. As long as you're not that person in the same geographic part of the city. You can right. be whoever you want to be. And so he's like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to yes. And so his grandfather, when he was young, he said, you yes them, right? You say yes until you shove the yes down their throat or whatever like that. You you yes them to death. And so he decides he's going to do that. He's going to lie to the brotherhood. And so the brotherhood is this Marxist organization that he got involved with who has been controlling things up to this point. We are beginning to figure out it's behind his back, right? Mm-hmm. We haven't had the big reveal yet. And that's part of his ultimate awakening there at the end, is when he realizes he's just being used. Even as Reinhardt, he's just being used. And so, but anyways, right after he has the scene where he decides he'll just be Reinhardt, then is when you have that scene with Sybil. And he realizes a man like Reinhardt is using other people and forgetting. So you're forgetting the personhood of the other person. And I think that is part of the morality of the story, is that Brotherhood, Reinhardt, the Paint Factory, the men at the very beginning with the not the brouhaha, the Battle Royale. I wish it was called the brouhaha. <laughs> yeah. They're all they're all using uh, people and forgetting the humanity of the other person, mm-hmm. and that's what, as dis disgusting as the scene with Sybil is, that is what he eventually realizes. This is here this is what I'm going to do. This is despicable, right and so he en- ends up getting her a taxi, sending her home and doesn't go through with anything. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of then where, and then he realizes that he gets that call and he realizes they've been running things. They've planned this, right? They've allowed for Roz the destroyer, who's this kind of foil to the narrator mm-hmm. to just take Pretty over much like Harlem. Like
0: Chiba and Midnight's Children. That was a great poll last episode.
1: Yeah. And so here he is, and he's now going to destroy Harlem and this is what the Brotherhood has been planning all along. He's being used. He's a tool just like everyone else. And um, I think if there is the promise of a morality in the story, it is that he's going to move forward. Because I, I do think that that's why it's important that he wants to get back to Mary, right? Mm-hmm. Because she's the person who actually wanted to care for him. And she's someone he actually wanted to care for, I think. Right. You know, she was the closest thing he had to a mother figure in this book. And so she had some of that essential. Humanity. So I don't know if it's shallow, but I do think that that's the morality of the stories of offering you in the end is that whatever you do decide to do in the world politically, you have to do it realizing that everybody you're dealing with is a person and not some object or this invisible thing that you're trying to see through just to get your purpose.
0: I mean, not to get too political, but how can we avoid it? When you put it that way, it's like Gosh, I wish everybody that was a part of Black Lives Matter would read this novel. Yeah. So it.
1: there's this one character in this book named Clifton who was a part of the Brotherhood and he eventually disappears. They can't find him. And so the narrator goes and he finds that he's selling these little black dolls on the streets. They're kind of voodoo type dolls. They're, they're weird. And he's singing this song and he's become, he's just basically done a, a, a 180 and he's now against the Brotherhood. I guess it's important people understand in the context of this. There's another character called Raz. Did we talk about Raz the Destroyer in the last episode? Only he's he's kind of that black nationalist figure. He hates the Brotherhood because he thinks the Brotherhood is compromising with whites, and he wants to get rid of the white man out of Harlem. He wants to reclaim this is Raz the Destroyer. He wants to claim Harlem as the new as a black nation and get rid of all white influence, and that's what he wants. And so he sees the narrator as a traitor. And so Clifton, this character who was a part of the Brotherhood, you find out that he became disenchanted with the Brotherhood. And so he's now selling these things on the street. The narrator approaches him and a cop eventually comes in and Clifton runs, right? And there's eventually a confrontation with the cop where Clifton, an unarmed man, gets shot and killed, right? And this ends up causing the riots that occur. And so... Obviously, you can't read that scene without thinking that, man, nothing really has changed. It sounds exactly like George Floyd, right? Mm-hmm. And so I looked it up. And of course, there are all sorts of articles George Floyd and Invisible Man, you know, the Black Lives Matter and Invisible Man. And I would read them, and that all they would, they would just make such cheap ties to this novel, talking about, you know, Ralph Ellison years ago, he told us all that, you know, the black men in America are invisible and we just don't see them. And I just wish that we would read Ralph Ellison again today to realize that black men are invisible and we just don't see them.
0: I wish yeah, that like, we would read Invisible Man to see how crappy Marxist
1: organizations yeah. dehumanize people. And that, that's the frustration because it's it's doing with Invisible Man exactly what Ralph Ellison was concerned was be, they were doing with the black people, right? In other words, they're looking through the novel just to get at what they think is useful but they're not actually reading the novel. They're not actually using the novel. They're not actually getting anything out of it that's useful for them. It would be helpful for them. Does it make sense? Mm-hmm. They're not getting out of the novel what they should be getting out of it, which is that Marxism has no solution for the world. Anyways, I thought that was full of irony.
0: Yeah. Well, it's impossible to discuss this novel without discussing it. I, I do want to say, more broadly speaking, though, I still don't think we've quite captured... For me, maybe I'm crazy, but if this novel, in terms of tone, in terms of how this novel actually feels when you're reading and the excitement that it generates, just as a piece of literature, if, if, if a director was going to direct the movie of this, and I think there is a movie from a long time ago of this that I've
1: never seen. I think but, that I read somewhere that either Netflix or Amazon has an upcoming project where they're going to make this into a serial. Uh, well, they'll probably screw it all up. But oh,
0: they will. I think if you're going to do it, though, what you don't do is get the Prestige Academy award bland guy to do it what you do in order to capture it properly is you get the wachowskis or you get david what's his name fincher you know this fight club era david fincher because this novel has that kind of weird underground man channeling the zeitgeist seeing glitches everywhere in the matrix kind of feeling and excitement to it He's stripping away reality. There's a metaphor that I love early on in the preface when the narrator's just kind of rambling underground man style. And he says he smoked some dope and then listened to Louis Armstrong. And suddenly he was just ahead of the music and just behind the music. And he says that being an invisible man, you're always, you always have that feeling as you go through life that you're 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 either one step ahead or one step behind but the one thing you're not able to do is be in perfect harmony with everyone else's melody and that's what i think of this novel actually it has these set pieces that when you describe them sound very socially conscious kind of but when you read it it reads much more like you're tapping into something mythic or something I don't know it's much more cambellian or youngian or whatever than it is some boring litany of socially conscious things so i don't i don't really even know how to articulate that but i just want people to be excited to read this book and not think that it's homework because it's not yeah i don't know what else do we need to say about
1: invisible man i don't, I don't know we all agree that the artistic value and the message that it has outweighs the content for an audience of a certain maturity I
3: don't, this isn't a book i'd give to a high schooler i don't think no
0: no i imagine it probably does make it onto a lot of high school reading lists just because of course it unfortunately
1: does, i mean we can true. warn people where the scenes are it's the first two chapters basically
0: Chapter two, I think, is when he takes Mr. Norton on the or drive. The and- battle royale, they have the
1: blonde that's there. The white guys have that blonde. Yeah, I forgot about her. But that's not really much anything there. But then you have the scene with Mr. Norton, and that's just the father telling the story. So it's more just the horror of listening to him tell the story than it is anything explicit, right? But yeah, and he gets but pretty... He gets... he Yeah. It's all heavily it's pretty evocative.
0: There's a lot of stuff that's very heavily implied. That's yeah. pretty disgusting and depraved.
1: Then you um, have the simple scene. Yep. I'd say if you read Midnight's Children, you're probably not going to be any more horrified by things mm-hmm. in this than you were with things in that.
0: No, I'd say you'd find yourself in the hands of someone that feels a lot more responsible than
1: Salman Rushdie does when it, it comes has to a, handling,
3: it has a stronger moral compass. Yeah, yeah. that's
1: what I was thinking. He's willing to, he takes you to darker, he takes you to dark places, but the things he is exposing and talking about are pretty dark, so.
0: Yeah, I don't know. There's certain small choices within paragraphs or things that I might quibble with, but overall, the scheme of the book, I don't know how much I'd quibble with. Mm -hmm.
3: The the nihilism of this book is uh, really intense. I... He he comes away trying to give you a message of hope, mm-hmm. and I don't I don't buy it, mm. and I don't believe that Ellison buys it. I think he's a pretty convincing nihilist. But what exactly does he believe you can hope to change?
1: Yeah, I mean it is kind of an empty offer there at the end. That if you just think about the other person as a human, that that's going to do you any good.
3: I don't know that I've read a book that has made me, at least in recent memory, that has made me more glad to be a Christian than Mm -hmm. this book, because he really, I think, runs you to the end of your rope.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: There really is nothing you can do. It just doesn't matter. You can be uh, the hopeful, starry-eyed, dreamer, optimist, all you want. You're going to get chewed up and spit out and used, and you're going to do
1: nothing, except maybe some inadvertent evil along the way yeah it may be one or two meaningful to you interactions with another human being
3: and we're preaching through the sermon on the mount right now and in the sermon on the mount jesus is calling us out of all of it and freeing us from all of it to be part of a different kingdom and that's how i finished i finished that that book just being grateful that I'm a part of something different. <laughs> mm. That I, that that fitting in and finding my place in this system, in the world, isn't something I have to do. Right. And it's not how I affect change. It's by being a part of God's kingdom and being liberated from it. To live differently, to think differently, to love differently. And I don't know. I just kept thinking about that over and over and over the last several chapters of the book.
0: You know, I had that visceral reaction to Dostoevsky. I I hated where he landed. I felt like his good guys were so anemic and so ultimately hopeless that the brothers Karamazov, for all its posturing, ends in nihilism. Because the only convincing arguments have, that have been made are for the Grand Inquisitor's point of view, not for quote-unquote Jesus's point of view. And this book ends on a similar note. It really is. The best we can do is say, okay, Grand Inquisitor, you win, but I'm going to give you a kiss because it's worth me existentially still trying. But I was, I existentially, personally, was more convinced by this one. I don't know why. It sounds like you weren't, Jake. It sounds like you were had quite a different reaction, Jake. It's yeah. not that I was convinced. It's not that I don't basically agree with you. Praise God that. We don't have to end where Ralph Ellison's narrator ends. Where you, Ralph felt less, Ellison
1: ends. you felt less despair with Ralph Ellison.
0: I felt like, you know, maybe it's just the difference between enjoying the artistic performance enough. And that might really be all it is. But it's like, there's such life and vibrancy and humor in the vignettes, as yeah. nihilistic as they ultimately are, that it sort of makes me think maybe life has some vitality and vibrance and humor to it where dostoevsky reads like a slog see that's it for me dostoevsky paints a
3: uh, black and white two-dimensional paper world with paper people and so i don't believe anything he has to say right and i don't care so about don't care. what he has to say i just uh, his grand inquisitor stuff it just doesn't bother me it, right. it's he's just a he's a paper tiger mm-hmm when you show me you can engage with real people in the real world, then maybe I'll listen to you. Ellison spends hundreds of pages doing that in a colorful, vibrant way. And then his conclusions at every point along the way, to me, just ring all the more true. They're more compelling. They ring all the more true in a way that Dostoevsky just can't or doesn't resonate with me as much. Right. And so I, yeah, I definitely, I think, similar experience but different different weight and mm-hmm. how it hit well for so, the same the same reasons just read differently i guess
0: so i've been i people don't get to participate in every aspect of this podcast because they don't get to participate in facial expressions and stuff like that i've been trying to figure out what you've been thinking jake for the last 40 minutes is that what you've been thinking basically just like would Do you want to push back and say, maybe this isn't a novel to read actually, or maybe this is just too, let's not lavish too much praise on this nihilist's work or something?
3: I don't think I'm ready to say that. I just, I don't, actually don't think that putting this book in the hands of the BLM protesters is a good idea because I don't think that it leads them anywhere but blow it all up, actually.
0: Yeah, no, I I agree with that. Um, I think
3: it leads to Ra's... Al Ghul or whatever, Raz the Destroyer. Right.
0: I I don't think I think that's Ra- what Ellison was trying for, though. I think he has incisive I, I criticisms don't of BLM. I don't. BLM. I
3: don't either. But I don't think it leaves you in any other place. I don't think if, it if, gives you anything else but to just be
0: Raz. If if you're us and you want to understand what's wrong with BLM, you
1: could do worse than read this novel. We give sure. it that
0: at least. Sure.
3: If you're somebody you just who wants some to,
1: handle, you, ahead, you right. don't think it has. You don't think it has any solutions. And I I agree. I think it the, gives
3: yeah. you tanahisi coats. That's what I think. I think it gives you ta easy Coates.
1: What's his solution?
3: Reparations.
1: Reparations. You think that's where Ellison lands is reparations?
3: No, no I think that's where, I think that's, I think uh, uh, a bright black man who's who has tried to grapple with ev- all the layers of power and systemic, everything at every level being impossible to navigate. It leads you to something like systemic racism is it's all it's all got to be deconstructed and reconstructed, and Ellison told us that there's nothing you can do about it. But I'm going to come up with a solution, and my solution is going to be let's not just tear it all down, but let's build it back up in a completely different way. Let's let's have reparations. Let's let's figure out something that's equitable, and y- y- let's deconstruct the white out of everything because that's the problem.
0: So we read. Between the world and me, the Ta-Nehisi Coates book back around the time I think the Black Panther hit, so and maybe so cool.
3: and 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 letters, may, maybe a different one too.
0: But yeah, yeah, we will. I think I it read two for too. For, a, for a podcast that we ultimately didn't do because we right. decided we couldn't wrap our heads around it, or just I don't know, variety of factors went into making that decision. But Ta-Nehisi Coates, what I remember about reading him, and for people who don't know Ta-Nehisi Coates, he's. How would you describe him? He's just one of the foremost writers and popular thinkers on race in America, right? Yeah. Yeah. And he's a black man. And I remember comparing his book to reading H.P. Lovecraft. Because H.P. Lovecraft writes writes about these monstrous deity-like god monster things that are going to destroy the world, and there's nothing you can do about it. And that's what I take away from Ta-Nehisi Coates when it comes to race. There is systemic racism. I, as a white man, cannot repent of it because it is inside me and it doesn't really matter what I do. It's just, it's been internalized to the point it's it's in my bodies or in my body. It's in my action. There's nothing I can do about it. There's nothing that he can ultimately do to stand against it because it's all so systemic and it's all so internalized that even reparations are, are kind of actually, yeah, okay, that's where we have to land. But ultimately where we really have to land is just, the sucks. I don't know, now, obviously that's not what ta Coates would say if we were interviewing him right now, but that's, that's what I think any well-intentioned thinking person is actually going to take away from the book if they take his premises seriously. I actually don't feel exactly the same way about Invisible Man. A, I think because it has such an incisive criticism of the whole Marxist scheme, for improve for societal improvement, which is something that Coates and all these guys, it's where they tend to end up landing. They would, they would be Marxists for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And so it's one step ahead. So if anything, you could argue that it's more nihilistic. At least it's equal opportunity. Everyone sucks in a way that actually the the modern movement isn't. But then the fact that he does end on the narrator having to take personal responsibility does feel different than where the modern black movement, I don't know, these things are so hard to talk about. But I just see victim culture when I see BLM, and that's actually not what I see in Ralph Ellison. This is not This is the story of the system is utterly corrupt and anything that you do will fail and all the different solutions are stupid. That is there, and it is depressing. But the answer isn't, so go out and take what's yours. The answer is, okay, so we have to try again, which to me does feel a little bit different than the nihilism of Black Lives Matter. I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe it just hit me that way. Maybe I was just in a different frame of mind when I read it. I don't know. I don't know how to even litigate it beyond just saying, that's what
1: it left me feeling. Well, I think what happens with this novel is that since you have all this symbolic myth-making that's happening here at the end, he's giving you the impression that he's got something in mind. So he's talking about the pattern and the chaos. What he's exposed to you is that you're you're. we have all these ordered lives and we have this way of understanding the world and he's seen the chaos under it all. And he's made sense of the chaos for you. And that it's there and now hopefully with that discernment to be able to smell the death and everything, you know, I think that's what he kind of says there at the end Mm -hmm. that you can then have the discernment to go out and make actual real choices that aren't full of hypocrisy and lies. But, and so there's a sense of hope, there's a sense that he can become reborn again and have some sort of meaningful purpose because he says even an invisible man might have a responsibility in society, right? And that's one of the last things mm-hmm. he says in the book. And it all sounds yeah. good. Right. So it does have a sense of hope that a nihilist usually wouldn't have, but I'm with Jake in the sense that trying to then, and I think this is, I think he leaves you there because he wants you to try and figure it out yourself. That's what he would say. But I still, I'm, I'm with Jake in the sense that I can't imagine what it would be outside of the systems that he's already been criticizing in the novel. I don't know what his solution is going to well, be. Well, and part part of why it's
3: good in that sense is it i think it rightly you know it's in in the, in some sense it's the right kind of despair right mm-hmm. it's the all right burn it to the ground or turn to jesus there really yeah. isn't anything left for you
0: right you, you get well, the feeling that if reparations had been a major part of the conversation when You would have wrote, figured
3: out how to deconstruct that too yeah and how to show how
0: and, and that would have been another hypocritical stupid violent stop on our hero's journey journey um, right <laughs> And so, yes, I, I think maybe I'm just grooving more on the right kind of despair. It is. I mean, for it, whatever it reason. It feels
1: like the Camus, you know, in the end, what matters is you have to imagine Sisyphus smiling. Isn't that what he says at the end of the Myth of Sisyphus or something?
2: Right. And
1: yeah, sure, this is the way the world is. It kind of feels like what Ishiguro is, too. And at least, you know, the, these feel like if you're going to be a postmodern and you don't have any hope outside of becoming a ruthless Ros the Destroyer this kind of is your solution here. Because of okay? he he is similar to Ellison in the sense that he just drives the same, he goes at the same question over and over again. Hypocrisy, our unwillingness to deal with it, what does that leave us with, right? And in the end, he doesn't really have solutions for us other than the fact that he's just really, really good at exposing the problem. And I think Ellison's in the same camp. I don't, he, I don't think he has any solutions for us. I've been looking at, I, I really wish that, I really wish th- that I had read Shadow and Act before this, which is his 1964 book of essays. But that might have some... I'd be really interested to see how he has come to terms with the problems he raised in Invisible Man. Yeah, and
0: I assume he probably
1: was pretty explicit about it. Yeah, this is all... A lot of these essays, essays are autobiographical. So I I think I'm going to get it and read it. I'm really curious now to see what how he dealt with this question because it does feel like he's just kind of raising a question for us here at the end. I don't think it. I don't think it takes well, away from the just, beauty of the book. I think it's part of the way it works. But
0: well, just to be very, very clear, yes, this is hell bound and despairing without Christ, and that means the book is crap in a certain sense. <laughs> you know, overall, he didn't find the solution, and so you know, I, I am a hundred percent with Jake there, and, and I hate the kind of gospel coalition. Well, at least he expressed the problem well. Yeah, any halfway intelligent pengu- pagan can express the problem well. But what I will say is he expressed the problem really well. Like, yeah. he did a good job. This is, ju- this is just, a, it's just a good book. So yeah, it does have a fatal flaw. And, you know, Mark Twain just ended up with some dumb slapstick with Tom Sawyer. He was up against the exact same yeah. problem. And he was like, oh, let's have Tom come in and Do some home
1: alone shenanigans. Yeah, Karenina ends with Levin waxing philosophical and, you know, getting really weird and mystic.
0: Yeah, and East of Eden ends with a fake Jewish almost word
1: that stands for redemption, but not quite Jesus. I don't know. There aren't too many novels outside of those written by Christians that end with the right answers. And not many of those are... Yeah. Not like C.S. Lewis. I guess if I was going to put this... No,
0: he. If anything, we've been harder on him because he comes closer, and yet so far away. He's so far away. Yeah, I think I'd put this guy more in the Ishiguro camp, though, in terms of a pagan whose attempt I respect. Yeah,
1: we'll we'll uh, condemn him to limbo. If we're thinking about Dante's hell, yeah, yeah.
0: If I'm writing my, if I'm writing Nathan's Inferno, then I guess I'll. And I'm using the Dante formula. Then I, I, I guess he'll be in limbo.
1: He saw the. He saw a problem. It wasn't enough to redeem him, you know, unlike the Ghost Gospel Coalition, I'm sure, would try to do.
0: Well, I I found it refreshing insofar as he was prophetic in seeing the problems of the next 50 yeah. years. This is before uh, Malcolm X. This is before Black Lives Matter. This is before so many things, and it nails every one of those things. And it's like he's made the criticism before <laughs> the thing actually yeah. happened. I
1: don't think he'd be impressed with where and we're so, at today. Yep.
0: Yeah.
3: Or anything that's happened. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? I'm sure, as you guys were pointing out earlier, i, I as Brandon was talking about, I, I I know that everyone that is a card-carrying member of BLM probably owns this novel and owns this guy. And yeah, I can understand why. He certainly understands systemic racism about as well as anybody. Well, anything else that needs to be said about the the philosophical underpinnings of this novel? Nope. I don't think so. I just want to say one other thing that I thought of that I just really love about this novel. He writes dialogue and he writes in people's, in different voices, whether it's a rich old white man or a black man talking like a white man or a black you, man just being a black man. or Can you confirm that that's the writing
3: and not the performance? Because I, think both. I listened to this on audiobook and it was the most amazing audiobook experience I think it's, I've ever had. It's I the best I've ever had.
1: Is it, uh,
0: there, it is. The it's writing. all there. It's all there yeah, I, in I the writing, too. Yeah. Okay. I. I,
3: I it became a, really hard for me to tell. I felt that. I believed that. But the performances were so great that I also thought, well, it's. It's at points hard for me to yeah. distinguish.
1: No, it's there. You know, it's blood. So then it's yeah. the, the paint I, shop owner, and then it's the black guy and the basement and this jack
3: and it's just i need to yeah. i need to look up this uh
0: reader and just give props uh, I, i've got him. He, he, his name is Joe Morton yeah and he, the the audiobook of this is incredible he just he reads it like he's reading a dramatic monologue so he's laughing and he, as, as he rambles during the preface he's and, and the way that he brings the different characters to life from the lowest of the low to the highest of the high from Mr Norton to whatever the rapist guy the the dad character's name is true blood or no true blood's the doctor or no blood's the doctor true blood <laughs> there's a bit of on the nose naming there mr john true blood is the the incest guy the way that the audiobook reader brings these to life is jake is absolutely correct it is the best audiobook performance i've ever heard and good enough that i would i would recommend that people err in the direction of listening to this one. Yeah,
3: actually, yeah. I don't know if you can get it outside of Audible. That's where I got it, but
0: you can. I think I listened to it on Libby or Hoopla or man. one of those. Yeah,
3: I, I want to say there are some there are some books. I don't know that I I really want to say that this is the way that this was meant to be to be consumed. I, you cannot. Maybe maybe if you're maybe maybe it's different if you're black. But if you're white, forgive the fact that I don't know how to bring, to express this any other way, but the, the amount of color that he brings to these characters is just, it's rich. Mm-hmm. And he knows and hears things that are hard to know and hear.
0: Yeah, it adds a lot. It adds a lot.
3: Fun fact, I looked up the author on Audible. His top, outside of The Invisible Man, his top... Rated a performance is the Water Dancer. On
1: the easy coats, yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah. There you go. I'm sure he brings that to glorious life. He also does Juneteenth by Ralph Ellison, an adaptation of Star Trek: Deep Space Nine. Ah, oh,
1: uh, nice.
3: And a bunch of other things that you've not heard of, and some some that you have. Cool. Stephen uh, King. What's Stephen a- King? Does Anne Rice. Do? Nightmares and dreamscapes.
0: Oh, cool.
3: Classic um, short stories. The Neil Gaiman thing. And yeah. Tremendous reader. Yeah. And part of the part of I think the the greatness of the performance is at any speed it it sparkles. So I, there are some performances that if you speed it up
0: it sounds stupid. You lose stupid. a lot. You lose yeah. a lot but. There's some performances where if you play it at normal speed you lose a lot because you're like <laughs> come on. Hurry up. Jeremy. Yeah, tremendous audio book. But I do think it's all there in the text. I think he's a, yeah. he's 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 one of the better dialogue writers that we've read. Booking you um,
1: should listen to it one speed, the the actual speed of our voices.
3: Yeah. Oh, our podcast. I don't know how you would keep up with the thoughts otherwise.
0: You should probably Yeah, listen to, to it on half speed so you can really get all the nuances of what we're saying. Yeah, those like we're, we're out there drunk. listening at half speed, this book is like the Matrix. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good insight. I stand by it. Okay. But I'll mock it in anticipation of other people not agreeing. Anything else that you guys want to say about this book? Scenes, characters, moments, no. attributes of the book? No. no. Nope. I'm okay. done. Well, I okay. Well, okay. Brandon, how many Indian or uh, boy? Yeah, no. Um, let's see here. How many uh, spears wielded by Raz the Destroyer would you give? to this book out of 29.
1: Uh, 27. Cool. So you're docking at two spears for... Nah, yeah, I don't know for what. It's some of the scenes that could have been... Uh, could he have though?
0: I don't know. It's easy to be a backseat driver and say you'd do it differently, but I, I am I am not sure exactly where he should have gone. Just for his that punches. uncertainty of whether or not vague feeling that whether he probably or not, should have. So
1: I'll go twenty eight, just for that. Twenty eight. Not twenty nine, but twenty eight. There you go. Close. Jake Spears out of twenty nine. Twenty eight point one. Mm. Ooh, wow. It's probably a good radio station. 28.1.
0: <laughs> You're listening to Invisible Man. 3.7 <laughs> which is
1: our NPR here in Bloomington, Indiana. When you get near St. Louis, becomes their black radio station. So there you have it.
0: You know, we got be that, black, man? We're using that term, fun fact, pretty loosely here, huh?
1: No, <laughs> oh, it can mean a lot of
0: things. This this term.
1: Anytime Brandon fact. says the word "fun fact," you should really. Wonder if what you're about to hear is either fun or uh, probably be a fact.
0: No, yeah, no. We always know it's going to be fun,
1: though.
0: <laughs> no, That's a fun fact. I'm gonna, heck, I'll do it. I'll be brave. Twenty nine no. spears. I love. This I love book. it too.
1: Twenty eight shows that I love it, Nathan.
0: Yeah, whatever. You guys in your twenty eight spears. At least Jake gave it twenty eight point yeah, one. Well, you know,
1: I'm the only. I think he's, I'm standing mm, with Ross the Destroyer. They're my name is Brandon.
0: Union
1: I Got a spear with your name on it. You're going to throw it through my jaw. Don't.
0: <laughs> wait, I'm, I'm going
1: to. What? Didn't he throw it back at Ross the Destroyer? Oh, so, uh,
0: yeah. Sure. Probably. I don't know. I never actually read this book. <laughs> um, he, he
1: pierced him, right?
0: Am I crazy? <laughs> I don't know. I don't remember. It's been a while. Fun fact. I don't yeah. know. I don't even want to find it. I'm sure if you remember it, it's correct. I read this novel once about a year ago or something. And then I, I, re- I it again, but I did not have a chance to actually reread the whole thing in depth.
1: Yeah. So. so when Roz yelled, hang him, I let fly the spear. And as it was though for a moment, I had surrendered my life and begun to live again, watching it catch him as he turned his head to shout, ripping through both cheeks and saw the surprised pause of the crowd as raw as Raz wrestled with a spear that locked his jaws. Said, our guy has become Captain America. The tribal chieftain. He's become the Falcon, the new Captain America. Yeah, they could tie this into the Marvel universe pretty easily. Why wouldn't yeah, they no, want The too? Invisible
0: Man, they could tie it into the the dark universe. The
3: Monsterverse.
1: Yeah, the Monsterverse.
3: Oh, no, the Monsterverse is... Uh...
1: Would Jack make the Monster Squad?
0: Sure, I don't know. Razagul has to be the real one to make the monster squad from this book, though, doesn't he? He's just a puppet man, he's just a pawn in their game. He's only a pawn yeah,
1: about, in their game.
0: How about Dr. Bledsoe? That guy said he'd rather see all of the people in his race hung than lose one iota of his power.
1: Yeah, he's a monster. Monster, he's in the monster squad. Everybody knows either the monster. We made it this far without being canceled, Brandon. I see your hands at the concert. Jake's either ignoring me or <laughs> I'm just waiting. To get off <laughs> and go to bed. <laughs> me too.
3: Yeah, I've, well, I've got else? a f- friend out in the living room, and I've got somewhere to be at six in the morning. <laughs> you've got a f- friend in the um, living room. Speaking I'm kind of tired.
0: You've got a what? I said, I'm kind of tired. No, I know, but do then Brandon fr- said, Not Do you have a friend, friend, in friend in the living room
3: right now? Cynthia's okay. still out there.
0: You've got a friend in the living room.
1: I've got friends got right friend here with me on my screen. <laughs> glad how you guys reciprocated that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've I'm I'm Say glad the patrons,
1: Nathan. Say them.
0: Speaking of friend, Brandon, you're a good friend. Jake, you're a good friend. Just We're all it. good Just friends. Just get through it. Go. On the booking. This is a long just episode okay. already. Patrons, go. All right, everyone, say one wise thing Dracula. About, just go. Uh, Dracula race. Break Dracula. Aside. People could see the sad. You've expression been defeated, Nathan. Right
1: <laughs> no, Brennan. Just oh, you no. wait. Just you wait. Back. That's like the wild, That's the one thing you have over us is for the mysterious phantom to make an appearance. <laughs>
0: What do I have to do with that? That was Lin-Manuel
3: Miranda. That yeah. wasn't... I know. Mysterious I bet he's fan. in that. What
1: if the mysterious
0: phantom <laughs> yeah, is Lin-Manuel Miranda? <laughs> I'd like him yeah. better. I like Lin-Manuel Miranda just fine.
3: Wait. Boy. All right, guys. I'd like the phantom better. Wait.
0: Boy. Oh, if you... Oh. <laughs> it's interesting how I yeah, interpreted that. Was a, that, uh? <laughs> that was a really weird misinterpretation.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Jake, why would
0: you say that about Lin-Manuel Miranda? He's pretty cool. Well,
1: guys, in uh, the, the saints, it takes and it takes and it takes.
0: Okay, name the people of color who you respect the most. Get out <laughs> of that, guys.
1: Completely. Just say the just say the list, Nathan.
0: Robert and Rhonda the Lovebirds. Fine, say Dracula. Dracula. <laughs> Jake, you can say Frankenstein, Little Anthony Cigar Store. Frankenstein. Immortal Chelsea E. Jimmy Beam and Little Annie Oakley. Frankenstein sign. Lily of the V. Dracula. Andrew Nestor the L. Frankenstein sign. The KM. <laughs> DMMT. Frankenstein sign. J and J and Little Dracula. Baby bucks J and Katie who are cold and love cheese and also see us losing and kill each our faces. Frankenstein sign. Fairy Princess of Wonder and Happiness. Dracula. Console Prime Adam. Frankenstein sign. Jeremy, the dark-hooded Lord of Death, congratulations on your marriage that already
1: happened when this episode comes yeah, out. last happened last weekend. Dracula.
0: Nathan, not me. Frankenstein. Maya. Maya! Maya! Dracula. Ryan, the Red Avenger, and Judith of the Ladies of Justice. Frankenstein.
1: Dracula. DJ Sammy G. <sighs> Benny and Dana Tiberius. Dracula. I'm trying to give you a beat. Let's go. Come on. You are dragging your feet.
0: Eric and Catherine from Yon Window Breaks. Break it sign. Professor. Dracula. Lady X. <laughs> Lavender screen, Dylan, Dylan. Lavender <laughs> Lavender screen. Lavender screen, Lavender screen Dylan, Dylan. I
1: love you too.
0: I love you too. You're exacting your
1: revenge by making this take forever, aren't you? <laughs>
0: I would never do I that. Just,
1: I could just you know, log revenge.
0: off. No, 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 no. Fine, fine, fine. Noah Constrictor, Mara Cheap, the Fair and Fragrant Maiden Chloe, Anthony is cold and hates the life oh, liberty of the pursuit. Jitsu Dracula, Texas Ranger. Rachel.
1: Rachel. Dracula. Midnight
0: Ninja Ellen. Return Dracula. of the Jedediah. Jay of Rack and Run. Timothy the Rider at Dawn. Eric and Kate, the camp champ kings who are warm and love bees. Maddie, 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 Man, I'm
1: the only one who's committed to this now. Jake is Sweet gone. Jamie Sunshine. Jack, Dracula.
0: Tyler, the keeper of eternal darkness, and Laura, the keeper Dracula. of eternal life. Dracula. Or Light. Cold Steel Dracula. Cody. Jacqueline, the librarian, librarian. John Bombadilla, Bomb Diggity, and Dracula. Captain T.L. His mate. Saxophone Alex. The other, <laughs> they're all just Dracula. Dracula. The other, Saxophone Alex and Dubstep Dracula. Dan. <laughs> Ryan the Terrorist. Right. And Eric of the Cream and Crimson. Close, I got the cold, Dracula. please, son, Ben and Solo Dracula. and Kylo Ren. John the Dracula. King of Chaos. Natural Mind player. And here are you okay? Dracula. Get your gun. Flight of the Valerie. Dracula. Dracula. Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> Dracula. Stephen dot dot dot. Dracula. And can I get a Frankenstein for peglodon Dracula. <laughs> oh. Wow. I feel like this podcast is ending on a nihilistic hopeless note. Frankenstein. Do it. <sighs> This is the secret to good comedy's timing. and I think that that proves it. That was a good, well-played Frankenstein and a well-played do it. All right. Well, Brandon, why don't you tell us what the secret to solving race relations in America is and then we'll get by Bye. <laughs> Dracula would have worked there uh, too, Dracula. I think. <laughs> <laughs> no. Blackula. <Ooh. laughs> I really think you should have said Blackula.
3: Canceled, finally.
0: Canceled. We're canceled wait, for Blackula?
3: Yeah, we were. Yeah, da, that's da, the one da, pushed da, it over. Da, <laughs> da, da,
0: da, da,
1: da, I didn't come up with blackula That's all folks <laughs> Okay, goodbye.
0: Uh, bye, bye. guys. Goodbye.